0: I wrote a ton of stuff, and then I was like, I should probably calm down. (laughs) I'm Mallory, and this is Newcast. All right, well, today we have a little bit of a change in the lineup. Alexis is not with us today, but we have a special guest. Kate is with us today. So, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself
1: Well, my name is Caitlin. Um, I'm from San Francisco originally, and I'm in the Slytherin house, which everyone always thinks is weird, but I like Slytherin. And I don't really have a favorite character. I can say Hermione, but that's cliche. I can say... It's okay to be cliche. (sighs) Yeah, but I don't know. I I don't want to pick Hermione. I'll say Slughorn. Oh, I like him. That's a unique one.
0: (laughs) So he wanted to avoid cliches. He's in
1: Slytherin, but he's not evil. He's ambitious and really smart. He may have, you know, helped a few people he shouldn't have, but I like him anyway. All right. Do you know what your Ilvermorny house is? Uh, Firebird, Thunderbird, whatever. Thunderbird. (laughs) Thunderbird. (laughs) It's Thunderbird.
0: (laughs) All right, quick note, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes to help people find us. And also feel free to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. Today we are going to be talking about the plot of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And um, if you're used to the sort of positive tone our shows usually have, this will be a bit of a change up. Because in my personal opinion, the plot is where this movie was the weakest. Totally tanked. Yeah, and it's where I have the most complaints. So, where last week I was glowing about the characters, I'm going to do a lot of nitpicking, and I'm sure Kate will too. I have a lot of nitpicking, <laughs> but we still have good things to say. So, but before we get to that, let's go to Potter Watch. Um, in news, this past couple of weeks, first of all, for cursed child, J.K. Rowling squashed some rumors that were going around about a cursed child movie being made. With Dan Rupert and Emma playing their older characters and she got on Twitter and said that this is not true thank goodness and I think most of us already kind of knew that but the general Facebook world didn't so it was reassuring to know that that's not happening at least yet I feel like WB isn't going to give up until they get the rights to that story and eventually make a movie but for now we're still good. In Fantastic Beasts news, there was an old article that we missed that a commenter pointed out to us regarding Newt's
1: brother. I just read it. Okay, (laughs) do you want to take this? Because I'm trying to remember. So, in the article, they there was a picture of the props, and there was a letter from Theseus. Theseus, yeah, Theseus to Newt. Talking about how he was the lead on finding Grindelwald and how he was really honored to be the head of this hunt.
0: Which really makes me pretty sure that he's going to show up, at least in one of the future movies. Because if they're going to introduce this character who's related to our main character and is involved in the hunt for Grindelwald, like, how do you he's got to show up. So that's kind of exciting.
1: And it would also make me nitpick the plot a lot less.
0: <laughs> Wait. Well, I mean, maybe that's how nude is going to be involved in the search for Grindelwald in the future movies without it being like, hey, we just happened to run into each other We again. already named it this title, so <laughs> we got to keep him. Um, there was a deleted scene from the Fantastic Beasts film released in which uh, Queenie and Tina sing the Ilvermorny School song. Did you watch it? No, I haven't. It's really silly. <laughs> Not just the song, which I expected to be silly, but, like, the scene itself is Uh super awkward, but kind of endearing at the same time. And it's also where we get that line that we saw in the trailers, which I saw after the fact, but anyway, where Jacob goes, like, I want to be a wizard. So it was kind of cute. Zoe Kravitz, who's going to be playing Lita in the films, teased a little bit about her and Newt's relationship, calling it complex, and saying that we will be seeing her and... His relationship spanning multiple films, but that she really doesn't know a whole lot about what's actually coming up for her character. And then in just random miscellaneous news, um, in celebration of the Sorcerer Stone slash Philosopher Stones twentieth anniversary, there are house themed versions of the book being released, which for now are only set to be released in the UK. But there's going to be a different version for each house. And they're really pretty, and they've got new crests for each Hogwarts house on the cover. And apparently there's going to be new content that includes fact files, profiles of favorite characters, and line illustrations exclusive to each house. So there's going to be new stuff, but it's going to be different
1: in each book. I'm really curious. I'm curious too, but I'm also a little apprehensive because everything new that tries to mess with the original series just makes me really want to be like, nope, nope. I don't want to see it. I just want my original series. That was the way you wrote it. That's the way it is. I'm hoping that
0: this new content isn't going to be so much written into the book as more of like an insert where they have cool illustrations of like what the dorms might look like in your house and more Mm -hmm. about the ghosts and just stuff like that. Yeah. Instead of like interrupting the story you're so familiar with and being like, hey, by the way, Miss Ravenclaw. (laughs) Let's tell you about your house, because that's going
1: to feel awkward if we do that. Like, maybe, hopefully it'll be something like there's a page with an illustration or something, and then it's got, like, a little paragraph describing something. I don't know. Something not too obtrusive. But, regardless of any of that, the covers look really pretty,
0: and if nothing else, they'll look really nice on your bookshelf. So, that's exciting. Who doesn't like another
1: Harry Potter book on their bookshelf?
0: I know. (laughs) I'm a sucker. I particularly enjoy this bit of news. Apparently Bruce Springsteen is a wizard rocker. (laughs) So way back in the day, he wrote a song for the first movie, and he called it I'll Stand By You Always, and it's supposed to be from the perspective of a parent to a child, and, like, he wanted it to be in the movies, but they turned him down, so he just kind of stashed it away in his archives. And now it's in the Library of Congress, and you have to go through this whole rigmarole to even listen to it. So not very many people even know what's in it, but I just really like aligning Bruce Springsteen's with the likes of Harry and the Potter's and The Moaning Myrtles.
1: <laughs> a little bit of a different
0: genre there. Yeah. For but Wizard I mean, Rock. that's what it is. He wrote fan music about Harry Potter just because he's already famous doesn't exclude him. True. Um, in the last bit of news, there was a Harry Potter themed restaurant opened in Williamsburg, New York, complete with chandeliers, a sorting hat, and customizable pasta dishes. Woo! I'm not impressed. <laughs> I saw the picture of the inside and it just looked like a restaurant with a chandelier. Oh
1: dear! And like it didn't look. We don't even have like floating candles or
0: anything. I didn't see any, and it didn't look super Harry Potter-ish. Uh, it just looked like kind of magicy,
1: like generic magicy. Yeah. So and it was pasta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're gonna do a Harry Potter themed restaurant, why not actually do? F- they food didn't even that's have butter like, beer. Like do food that's in the books. Yeah. Do some like. No, nope, they just like
0: made puns out of the names of the dishes. Oh gosh! So pasta. It was a big news thing on Facebook, but I don't really know why because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But anyway, in case you're interested, hopefully, not. hopefully they don't turn out to be super cool and we just bash them and now they're like <laughs> gonna never let us go or anything. I don't know. Maybe they would let us go to give them a positive review if yeah. <laughs> we rescind our earlier skepticism. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our main segment in the suitcase, the plot of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So we've kind of split this up into four main segments. We've got the three sort of subplots of the film, and then just other things we want to talk about. So first we're going to talk about the storyline of Newt catching his
1: creatures and having them released in the city and he has to catch them. Why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? I felt like they boxed themselves in by naming it Fantastic Beasts and where to find them because really that's not what they wanted the plot to be about.
0: Yeah, if it were a single standalone film about it, it would have worked better. But it felt like, I don't know, more of a distraction. Mm -hmm. I loved the creatures. Like the first time I saw this film, I think I already mentioned this, but I had stars in my eyes and I was just so excited to see all
1: these creatures that I'd read about and new ones that I hadn't. Right, because, I mean, in, in Harry Potter, you know, you get a bit from their Care of Magical Creatures class, but you don't get a lot of these other creatures that Newt has. Yeah. And, I mean, Harry Potter's in the future, so obviously we haven't even, like, scraped the surface of what you see in, like, that. what Harry sees. Yeah. And so it was, like, cool to see that, but... It really wasn't much of a plot plot. It was like a, oh, I guess we need some way to introduce him and, and start something. Get him moving about the city. Yeah, and, so that he yeah. can see something. But, I mean, the creatures really like took a back seat in terms of the overall plot. Until he showed up at the end to save the yeah. day. <laughs> It was like, oh, let's forget about them for like the majority of the film. And then, oh, yeah, we named this movie Fantastic Beasts. We should probably involve them in the solution.
0: <laughs> as far as the actual shenanigans that went on, I was feeling a mixture of they were funny, but also it was just stressful to me mm-hmm. because, They're
1: like, over the top.
0: Well, and I'm the so I, I hate car chase scenes, <laughs> so anytime there's like public damage going on it stresses me out because all i can think about is the poor public worker who has to come and clean up all this mess (laughs) and like the people whose property's been damaged with like they don't get to go and sue the city because an erumpent came and trampled their shop or something like
1: yeah nobody has no any idea what's going on
0: (laughs) and then newt doesn't clean up after anything so (laughs) it's just stressful (laughs) however it was also funny at the same time like all of the stuff with the Niffler was really
1: cute. Mm-hmm. and But that, oh my gosh, when he like breaks those like chandeliers know, and all no. that glass, I just was sitting there cringing and so was my husband. He was just sitting there the whole time like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so many things being broken. But I do get
0: that they need a bit of like the physical comedy and everything and it has to appeal to kids, so fine. But does it's it? Just not it was
1: more of an adult film. It yeah. really wasn't a kid's film. I don't think kids would really...
0: Maybe not appeal to kids, but just appeal to people who (laughs) like that sort of stuff.
1: I guess I don't know. (laughs) Needs a little variety in there for everyone, I guess.
0: I feel like I shouldn't say it was a weakness in the plot, but just not my personal preference as far as things go. So yeah, we talked a little bit about the creature involvement in saving the day. It just felt like two things that happened to coincide. I don't know, I just felt like it could have flowed a little more gracefully than it mm-hmm. did, but we can talk a little bit more about the ending later on here. Um, <laughs> I feel like you should probably take this one because you have stronger feelings about it than I do, but I'll just intro you. Why does nobody know anything about any magical creatures? Like, what on like, earth? I can understand them not knowing about the foreign ones, because Nude yes. has been traveling around the world, getting all these creatures that nobody knows about, and then he just introduces them to an environment, I mean, not intentionally, but to an environment that they've probably never been to before. But
1: a Murt Lap, they live... It just... <laughs> so, okay, here's my big beef. Okay. These people are magical. Yes, they are, you know, like... In, they're kind of like more immersed in the nomad muggle world or whatever than right. like you see at Hogwarts or something where a lot of them are, or in England, where a lot of the magical community is more removed from the muggles. So, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe there aren't as many magical creatures running around New York or something, but like they should have seen some at some point. So then when they see a new one, they go, oh, that's a creature I haven't seen before. What is it? Instead of, oh my gosh, what the heck is that? (laughs) Yeah, and like, so
0: this compendium that Newt is writing is pretty, like, clearly the first of its kind. It's kind of implied that no one's really compiled information about everything that the magical community knows about magical creatures, but... People should at least know about some
1: magical creatures. They should know there are magical creatures. Yeah. I mean, especially because Tina mentions that she went to Ilvermorny. She was sorted into a house that is named after a magical creature. Like, the whole school, like, the story of it forming involved magical creatures. So they have to know that magical creatures exist... If they ever attended this school, I can see maybe, you know, like, Credence not knowing because he's been, like, locked away in a closet with a lunatic. But, like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if you went to Ilvermorny or you're, like, a normal wizarding person walking around associating with other wizarding people, you should have heard about the existence of magical creatures. The one explanation for it that I could
0: sort of see is that since... In the United States, the magical community is forced to be so cut off from the nomad community and part of the ministry's job in covering up the existence of magic is keeping control of magical creatures. Maybe they are just, like, not taught about them at all. But at least Tina, who works in the ministry and would, you know, have these sort of problems around her come up, she should be a little more chill about it and instead of freaking out, be like, Oh crap! I should probably report this to the proper department so that they can, right. you know, take care of the problem before nomadists find out. I also want to talk a little bit about the billywig because I haven't really seen anyone talk about this, and it really bothered me. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but they kept cutting to the billywig
1: Flo- flying around. Flying around, yeah, and he just
0: looks and he just at looks it. at it and then like diverts her attention. Which I get him not, like, wanting her to freak out about it, but he never counts it among his creatures that are missing. He never tries to catch it, and the billywig is native to Australia, so clearly it's not there on its own It escaped right. from his case. So does he just not care about billywigs, or does he... Like, are they common at this point? So he's like, oh, what's one loss? Like, and uh, no, but like... <laughs> If they sting people, they levitate, so it's
1: going (laughs) to cause problems if it's just hanging out in New York City. I don't... That really bothered me, too, actually. Like, I mean, well, I mean, that kind of goes into another thing about Newt just not seeming to really be that proactive about catching these creatures in general. Like, I felt like, I mean, I... I get this as a bit of, like, character as well, but, like, plot-wise, his character is supposed to be someone who really, really cares about these creatures. He's trying to save them. The wizarding community has kind of killed off a lot of these creatures because they don't understand them. Right, so and he mentions to, that
0: several of the creatures in his case are endangered. Like, right. one of them is on the brink of
1: extinction. Right, and so why would he waste time just trying to appease people who he doesn't really like that much? <laughs> like, in general, he doesn't really care for people much. So why would he spend all this time trying to appease people instead of going after these creatures that he really cares about before either a nomad or another wizarding person comes across them and decides to kill them because they don't know what they are and think they might be dangerous? Yeah, that bothered me too.
0: I don't have a <laughs> response to it other than, yeah,
1: that wasn't good. Yeah, so I mean that combined with the billywig, wig, like him just not even caring at all about that one, that kind of bothered me plot-wise with the movie, that that wasn't more of an emphasis. I mean, they set up the movie to start that way, and then he kind of just kind of went another direction and forgot about him for a bit and was like, oh, yeah, I should probably go get that thing. Yeah. Grindel. As you can tell, I have a lot to say.
0: I am fascinated with Grindelwald as a character, and I'm really nervous about how they treat him because I really want it to be well done. First of all, I don't know if you have different feelings on this from me, but I didn't really feel like if a person went to see this film having not read the Harry Potter books or if they just hadn't read Deathly Hallows in a long time do you think they would have gotten that Grindelwald's sort of campaign was wizarding dominance over Muggle slash nomadges There's the one scene in the interview where they pretty much say that that's what Grindelwald wants, but it's not super clear, and I feel like people who don't already know wouldn't catch what this guy is about. He would just be portrayed as another, I want to take over the world for power's sake.
1: Right, well, and <clears throat> honestly, that's kind of how I it came across to me. Because I didn't do a whole lot of research before watching this movie. I pretty much read the Harry Potter books. I got on Pottermore when it first started, which then my brother-in-law told me to go in and sign up for a new account, and I realized it was, like, totally different. <laughs> so I really didn't know a whole lot about this. I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't read anything. Nothing. So when Grindelwald kind of came up... To me it almost sounded like I was like, Oh, I could see how that appeals to people, but it didn't seem like like a dominance over muggles, more it kind of came across to me the way it was presented in the movie that Grindelwald just wanted wizarding people to not be in hiding anymore. That they just wanted to be more integrated with the nomadges. Okay. Like it didn't it didn't seem so much like we need to take over the muggles so that we can be out in the open. I mean, you get a bit of that later, but when it right. was first presented It didn't really come off that way, and I didn't really feel like it kind of captured how scary Grindelwald is. Mm -hmm. Like, it kind of seemed like, oh, okay, I could see how a lot of people might get behind that movement. Like, it sounds pretty good.
0: Right.
1: And I'm torn on this, because if this were a standalone movie, I would have a
0: real problem with that, but since there's going to be four more, I feel like they have a good chance to develop that more so i kind of feel like it might be good that they started off that way in a sense of like getting the audience to sort of sympathize with him and be Mm -hmm. like oh yeah like clearly the way that you know, the like the scours or the second I call them scours now because that's where my brain is. <laughs> but the second Salemers are persecuting magical people and like abusing children. So it makes it really easy to sort of align yourself with Grenovald's thought process. But right. then you see the lengths that he's willing to go to and his overall aim. I don't know. So hopefully they will kind of
1: Ease that along in a way that's more organic yeah. and I'm hoping that it it's kinda of, that they intentionally did it to get you to think, oh, maybe he's not such a horrible guy, just You know, one of those, like, conflicts where you're, like, you ask the question, are the good guys really the good guys? Or is the bad guy really the bad guy? And not everyone's evil or totally evil and not everyone's totally good and whatnot. And hopefully, I'm hoping that in future movies it'll kind of delve into that so that by the time you get that, oh, Grindelwald's a really bad dude, Mm -hmm. like, that it's kind of a struggle to reach that point. And realize, like, yeah, no, you have to draw a line somewhere, rather than them just jumping in and being like, oh, yeah, no, he's just bad. Yeah.
0: And it's really important to me that it's very clear to everyone who sees these films that Grindelwald is very different from Voldemort. Very different. (laughs) I mean, he definitely has his similarities, but I want the differences to be
1: super clear. And I've taken it personally, (laughs) so... (laughs) But, I mean, in comparison to Voldemort, though, he at least can be compared in that he was, like, the pre-Voldemort. Right. Like, and and that was one thing that I felt like this film either intentionally or unintentionally did not get across, was that Grindelwald was... I mean, Voldemort wasn't around at this point, so Grindelwald was the big bad guy. He wasn't just, like, some guy that, you know, happened to be kind of bad.
0: Let's move on. I really liked just the subtle tiny little references to the deathly hallows in this we get the little necklace we get the phrase for the greater good which isn't with the deathly hallows but it's aligned
1: with his whole search for the deathly hallows my question so not having done research and i mean i (laughs) I listened to one of your previous podcasts where you guys did kind of touch on him maybe not using the elder wand because he has it at this point right we don't know
0: for sure. I personally believe he does, but we only know that he got it sometime between, I think it's 1899 and 1945. Oh, okay. Which is a pretty big time window. a pretty
1: big time window. But
0: in Deathly Hallows, when um, Grigorovich describes, like, who stole the wand from him, he says it's a young man. Right.
1: And... This guy is not a young man. Right. I mean, a Johnny Depp. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, if you're going to cast Johnny Depp, you obviously are setting it up for him to be older. Right. He's not a young man anymore. So, we're assuming he has the Elder one. So, me not thinking about it just the first time going through watching it, that was one of my big questions the whole time was, like, in that last fight scene. He's got, like, the whole... Makuza Makuza. <laughs> He's got Makuza, like, a ton of them after him. And I was like, wait, but doesn't he have the Elder Wand at this point? Like, but he wouldn't he? be able to
0: be carrying it around as
1: great, right. because that would so, be a dead giveaway. So that makes it better because that was one of my initial problems was I thought, like, should he have the Elder Wand? And they disarmed him. So yeah. if he was disarmed, that means he is no longer the owner, which means Dumbledore is never the owner. But It does raise a lot of questions, too, because... In
0: Deathly Hallows, when Harry disarms Draco, he doesn't disarm him of the Elder Wand. He just disarms him, and that makes Harry the owner of the Elder Wand. True. So
1: So I guess that still
0: makes my question relevant. (laughs) So does that mean that Tina is now the possessor of the Elder Wand? Because she's the one who disarms him. Was she? I'm pretty sure. It was either her or Newt. Yeah, one of them. So maybe at one point they get into another duel and he disarms disarms them. them. They they
1: better (laughs) follow through on this. They should. Because, I mean, they've made that, like, they've gone through that whole thing with Harry Potter to try and make it very clear how, you know, Draco became the possessor of the Elder Wand and how Harry then became it. So if they don't address that, like, I mean, I'm like 99.9% sure that Grindelwald has the Elder Wand at this point. He may not have been using it in that fight, but he probably has it. Because he's an old dude if we're going to base it off Johnny Depp. Yeah, So, I mean, not old, old, but, I mean, he's not a young man anymore.
0: (laughs) Um, I wanted to bring up another distinction just between Grindelwald and Voldemort, since we're (laughs) on the topic, (laughs) as far as people being able to tell just from the movie. Because with Voldemort, his primary goal was getting immortality and power, and then the subjugation of muggles and muggle-borns was sort of a secondary goal that came along with that, but I feel like as long as he was allowed able to get his immortality and power even if he wasn't able to subjugate muggles along the way he wouldn't care whereas with Grindelwald he genuinely believes that wizards ruling over muggles is like the way to make the world better it's for the greater good which is his little motto so the fact that he wants to be the one in charge of them comes secondary to that and I think that distinction is really important and it's kind of hard to explain to people because they're both megalomaniacs who want to kill people and abuse power and hurt people and are also very powerful wizards. I don't know. And I think I just love the way that she's able to make things like this eternally relevant. Like these sort of supremacist themes feel super relevant right now, but they also will probably feel relevant again in a hundred years because she writes them in a way that's relatable but also separate from our specific world and times. This particular universal theme, I think, was really well done with her villain characters, and I hope that that gets carried through to the future films.
1: Well, and I mean, how can it not? I mean, if they don't, like... What's the point? (laughs) Why even introduce it in the first place? Right. So then we'll have another plot thing to talk about later if they don't.
0: I want to make it clear. I mentioned in the last episode that I joked around that they should just have... Grindelwald be disguised as a different person every film. I don't actually think that. I was just joking. That would actually be terrible plot-wise. It's been done. We've had it several times now. But it'd be a lot more enjoyable to watch. It would. (laughs) But they shouldn't do it. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, Kate, you were telling me earlier when we were talking about this that you think that they should not have been able to catch him. No.
1: No. Because... Okay, I know you don't like the Voldemort and Grindelwald comparisons, but this is pre-Voldemort bad guy. Like, he's the big bad guy. Right. He's super powerful, Elder Wand or not. Like, he's not, like, okay with magic unless he has the Elder Wand. And so, how did he get captured? He should have been able to take out all those people, yeah. and then and then think about it. It would have been so much more of a dramatic reveal that it's Grindelwald if he's like taken out a bunch of these people, and then Newt just happens to hit him from the side with the Revealio curse or whatever, and then he turns and oh my gosh, it's Grindelwald, and everyone gasps, and then he disappears, out of there. <laughs> like. That would have been so much more that dramatic. Really and then good. it would have been like, oh no, where's this bad guy? But instead it's like, oh wait, they caught the bad guy. So now what? So now he has to break out again. Right. So again. You're like, Okay, well since we know some stuff about Grindelwald and how things go down we know he obviously is... That's not the end for yeah. him. So it kind of gives away whatever dramatic thing they're planning to do next with him breaking out, which kind of makes it less dramatic. And I don't know. I just felt like it kind of was a bit of a like a dishonor to his character because he's supposed to be pretty dang powerful. Like, yeah, and he's on car with him. Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, if he and Dumbledore can battle it out and whatnot, why can these guys capture him? You yeah. know? So... That was my big beef with that.
0: I'm with you there. And I'm not saying that, like, you shouldn't compare Voldemort and Grindelwald because they're <laughs> definitely very comparable, but I just think the distinctions are important. Yes. But, yeah, as, as far people, as, like, they are power, very they're, you know, they're both extremely powerful, scary dudes. Um, as far as the Obscurus Obscurial's Plot line as related to Grindelwald. Why was the Obscurus actually invisible in the beginning of the movie, or did I miss something, or was it just from the perspective of
1: like a no match? No match, and they so can no man does not see.
0: But then them? the one random dude was like, "It was a dark cloud with scary eyes." Yeah, so and they can see him. I. It's not I, like, I don't like a know if that if they just fudged that for the sake of building the tension and not giving away what it was because. The whole thing, the whole movie, is you can't tell what's causing the destruction.
1: Is it the obscurus, or is it these creatures? Right, because in the beginning it seems like it's some creature like tunneling through the street, yeah, and, like demolishing these buildings. But then you're like, oh no, it's some creepy kid. So if any of you have any insight on that, please send it my way because it's bothering me a lot.
0: <laughs> One last thing on Grindelwald. Um, When we were first discussing this movie together, Kate, you were confused about why Newt would know that Graves was Grindelwald, and I loved this bit of the movie. It was probably one of my favorite plot bits of the movie, so if you want to just explain why you didn't get it at first. It's
1: it's your favorite. It's still one of my beefs. (laughs) (laughs) So when I watched it, I mean, again, I didn't do any research into this before I watched it. I kind of just went in blind. And so... My big confusion was that, like, I know in that interrogation scene, you know, Newt gets that look on his face when Graves starts talking about, you know, these things that Grindelwald, that's his, like, campaign. Right. And so Newt gets this look on his face, but I didn't think it was that Newt suddenly was like, oh, that must be Grindelwald. I thought it was him going, oh, this guy's a supporter of Grindelwald. So then when they get to this big fight scene at the end, you know, they're trying to calm Credence down and... Graves is trying to calm him down. Nuke comes in and is trying to calm him down. They're both trying to calm him down, so it seems like they're kind of on the same side for this particular pressing issue and that they should have the same priority of calming this creepy kid down so he doesn't destroy everything. (laughs) But... Instead, suddenly Newt turns and is like, no, wait, don't trust this dude, which I feel like just escalates the situation and doesn't really help him calm down. And it doesn't really seem like a very logical step. Like, I didn't feel like they kind of, I mean, not that I need everything spelled out for me, but I felt like it wasn't at least enough clues that at that moment I was like, Oh, because it's Grindelwald. Okay. And so then, you know, he's saying, like, don't trust him and stuff. So I was like, maybe it's just because he's a supporter of Grindelwald or something. And then he throws this revealio thing at him and it's like, oh, wait, it is. Okay. But how did Newt know? I I mean, I can't tell you
0: exactly how he made the final conclusion of, oh, this must be Grindelwald. I don't know if he even did. Maybe he just threw out the Rebellion charm <laughs> and just was like, like well, might as well it's a a try. <laughs> but I, so when Graves slash Grindelwald, I'll just call him Graves for now because it's less confusing. <laughs> um, he's asking New what makes Dumbledore so fond of him and then implies that he set, the creatures loose on purpose still kind of fitting into the role of this magical law enforcement person saying you know maybe he did it to expose wizard kind provoke a war between magical and non-magical worlds to which newt what you reference is saying like mass slaughter for the greater good you mean and he says you know he's not one of grindelwald's fanatics and graves just gets that kind of look on his face like well you suck <laughs> but it could still be played off but it kind of hints that he's a supporter and you as the audience are supposed to think like oh He's a Grindelwald supporter. He's a bad guy. Watch out for him. Mm-hmm. But then it's when he goes on to talk about the Obscurus. He brings out the Obscurus and he's talking about it and he says, or no, Newt tells him that it's perfectly safe inside his little magical cage thing and Grave says, so it's useless without its host. And Newt is just like, hold up, <laughs> like, useless? Why would you want to use this thing? It's this evil parasitical force that killed a child no decent human being would ever want to use this. So I feel like that was sort of the point where he either figured out it was Grindelwald or started to suspect. But I think what really made the decision for him was the fact that Graves decided to execute Tina as well as Newt because he had made those slip-ups and as Graves, he could have you know gotten away with just having Newt executed and letting Tina go because she didn't do anything wrong. She just brought him in and... Maybe didn't do it super competently, but that's not a reason to kill him under the Makuza law. But the fact that she was there for that conversation and witnessed it and decided to—and then he decided to have her killed would tip Newt off that, like, oh— this guy's covering this up, so he's got to have something more going on there. Okay. So that's why I really enjoyed that, because it's super sneaky, and I loved it.
1: It was very sneaky. Apparently it went over my head. Well, I've also (laughs) seen this
0: movie twice and read the screenplay, (laughs) so I had an extra chance to pick up on these things. The final sort of subplot we have here is the second Salemers slash Credence. I do want to give a shout out to Liz Barcelos, who was on a previous episode. She reminded us that the name of the scourer who sort of got the whole Rappaport's Law thing going by his dastardly ways was named Bartholomew Barebone, which is the same last name as Mary Lou Barebone, so she's definitely a scourer, and I feel much better now, because I was Really wondering if she was a scourer or if she was just awful a fanatic, you know, like a really bad person. Yeah. And in that case, you know, how did she find out all this stuff and how did she go along this path? But it also says a lot for how much misinformation the scourers must have if she's lining up kids and like checking their faces for physical signs of magic. Which, as far as we know, is not a thing that happens, mm-hmm. other than our boy HP with his magical scar, but that's different. So, like we mentioned before, this whole um, second Salemer thing is a nice reinforcement that kind of goes along with Grindelwald's creeds that no nomadges are dangerous and the wizard kind should dominate them for the greater good because, I mean, this lady is taking innocent kids and torturing them right. and doing all sorts of terrible things, so it's... I enjoy things like that where it kind of makes the lines hazy and makes you able to see where the bad guys kind of get their ideas and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about this in the last one. It really bugged me that Modesty would have a toy wand when she would be beaten for it, which made me think that it was a real wand. And I just think plot-wise, that was something they needed to make more clear. Like, is she or is she not actually magical? Yeah. And I that don't that was know... really
1: confusing. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, wait. I mean, they kept kind of like making it seem like it was her and not Credence
0: for a while. And it's supposed
1: to be confusing in the beginning. You're supposed to
0: think it's her. Right. But But by the time you see
1: the toy wand, it's like, wait, why does she have one of those if she's not actually magical? Because why would you even put yourself at risk for that when you live with Crazy Lady? Yeah. You know, once we see that Credence is the
0: Obscurial, they needed to make it more clear whether or not she was also magical because we just don't know Mm -hmm. plot wise it made sense for them to make us think she was up to that point but after that it was just confusing and they needed to make that more clear so hopefully they'll bring her back at some point to make that clear otherwise that's going to be a loose thread that's going to dangle and torture me credence should have died take it away sister friend he
1: just should have
0: the it, end. <laughs> yeah. I think Alexis mentioned this too before that it just would have been more, I don't know. I don't know that cathartic is the right word,
1: but plot wise, he should have died. <clears throat> well, okay. Also, they throw in all this stuff about the Obscurials and how they like, they, you know, they're always young kids. And so it's surprising because he's older. And so how has he lived so long with this and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, after this huge outburst that, presumably, from what we've been told, would kill pretty much any kid, why is he still alive? I mean, it is implied that he's particularly powerful,
0: so maybe that's going to come into play later on, because we do know we're going to see him more.
1: Yeah. But, I don't know, I
0: just, they better have a darn good reason for keeping him around, because as much as I, like, would have been sad... If he died, it also would have been story a more wise satisfying. it would have been yeah,
1: it would have been more fulfilling. I mean, the end of the movie, I felt like just wrapped things up a little too neatly. It was like, okay, Grindelwald's captured and Credence is alive and everyone's hunky dory. The only sad thing was Jacob. Like, but even still, they were like, oh, but let's make it sort of happy. They didn't, really, still kinda, yeah, whatever, they didn't really, yeah, they didn't really leave
0: you with anything
1: that's like making you wait in anticipation of the next movie like what's gonna happen right it was just kind of like oh i guess they're gonna have to keep going with this grindelwald story so i guess i'll keep watching but there was nothing that was like oh my gosh i can't wait for the next one
0: and it's not like i personally need more torturous cliffhangers in my life (laughs) but they probably should have included at least one torturous cliffhanger okay we just got some miscellaneous stuff we were going to talk about I really enjoyed the American Wizarding sayings, and apparently you did not. They
1: fill me with rage, and they fill me with joy. I mean, I guess it is written by a British woman, and British people tend to be pretty condescending about Americans <laughs> and their stupidity. Okay, but which so... ones? It's
0: particularly like what nomad. Oh, the you're talking okay. dumbest thing Nomadge I didn't enjoy, but I'm talking more of like Tina's epithets. And I looked up the history of each of them because that's my thing. Apparently, (laughs) as I look up the history and whatnot of different things, she pulls up. So at one point, Tina says, "Why in the name of Deliverance Dane?" And it just kind of—oh, yeah—they
1: were like really dumb. I liked them. (laughs) I just (laughs) because Deliverance
0: Dane was a woman who was accused of witchcraft during the Salem witch trials. Uh, so it I mean, makes sense for the United States magical community to have her as sort of like a thing
1: they say. It's okay, a heck but of a lot better than But for the average moviegoer <laughs> who is not going to research every single one of these sayings <laughs> that she said, it just always kind of like, I would be like, what the heck does that mean? Like... Well, and it just kind of sounded 20s-ish because in the 20s, they were coming up with all sorts of weird sayings I guess anyway. guess so I like. Them. I felt like those, alongside with the stupid terms she gave up, like stu- <laughs> stupid names that Americans were using, it just made me feel like, oh, Americans are all idiots. Which I mean, I mean that sure, is definitely a thing like, we <laughs> discussed that bothers us a lot. Like we feel like she
0: should have had one or two American consultants when she yeah. came up with this
1: stuff. Because for... I mean, yes, you're British. Yes, you're cooler than us. But like, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, like, you you have quite a few American major fans, obviously, yeah. and so why make them look so stupid? I maintain, as I have since the age of, like, 11, that they
0: should have just hired me as a fan consultant. <laughs> but... <laughs> They'd be a lot better off if they did. <laughs> Another one that she used at one point was Mercy Lewis, which this one was a little funnier because Mercy Lewis was an accuser in the Salem Witch Trials, so I don't know, maybe they just use it more of a slang like a swear word sort of replacement, Mm -hmm. but also the fact that her first name is Mercy like it just kind of feels more of a like oh, in the name of Mercy, Lewis Uh it just feels more appropriate Um, and then also Newt at one point and this isn't an American one, but he says thank Paracelsus which I enjoyed because Paracelsus was this 15th century philosopher, botanist, astrologer physician, and occultist and he was the father of toxicology and was famous for going out and observing nature instead of just using whatever manuscripts that already existed. So for Newt to pick this, like, nature guy as an epithet, I thought was really cute. <laughs> this is just a silly little thing, but the demiguy steals a red lollipop from that thing. And I feel like they were referencing when Harry does that to poor Neville in Prisoner of Azkaban. When he sneaks into Hunting Dukes under the Invisibility Cloak and yoinks his red lollipop. Which, first of all, if you're going to steal someone's candy, why would you steal a lollipop that they've been licking? That's disgusting. Second of all, if you're going to steal someone's candy, pick someone other than poor Neville Longbottom, you jerk. (laughs) But I did think it was kind of funny that they did that in this movie, and I feel like it was a reference. If it wasn't, then what is their obsession with red lollipops? I don't know. But it was probably a reference, and I thought it was funny. We got a couple of new spells in the film. Fenestra, which I don't know if it dissolved or shattered the glass. I kind of hope that it dissolved the glass, because I think that's cooler, but
1: that's just me.
0: It's the well, one he you uses. you
1: shatter glass with a whole lot of other spells. Yeah. So.
0: Queenie uses the spell Aberto when she's trying to open Grave's office. Presumably that just opens the door, and it's rant time for me. <laughs> And it's kind of a fun coincidence that this came up because Mariah, who was also on a previous episode, was Snapchatting me some thoughts on Chamber of Secrets a couple nights ago because she's rereading it right now. And she brought up the fact that Ron knows how to pick locks with a hairpin. And why wasn't that ever used again? Because they're always sneaking around. Mm -hmm. So you would think that Ron would use that skill more than once, but... I just want to know what precisely the point of having locks on any doors is in the wizarding world. Because if Alohomora undoes a lock, and it's easy enough that first years can do it, then what's the point in having locks? Unless you're, like, a wizarding parent and you just got to keep your underage kids out of your booze cabinet or something. (laughs) But... Other than that, I mean, it just escalates from there. Like, if it's something that you have to keep people out of enough that you make it alhambra proof then there's got to be something else that you use to undo that. And then there's things like Harry's little keychain thing, like Swiss army knife that Sirius gives him that's supposedly supposed to undo any lock. But then that gets melted in the Ministry of Magic in the Department of Mysteries. So clearly there are locks that are exceptions to that. And it's just really frustrating to me that there's no, like, there's, no end. there's no end in sight. Because obviously the ministry has to be able to
1: open that lock. And...
0: Right. So, I mean, and I would assume that there's just a special key to that. But why does anyone bother putting locks on anything when any random first year could come along and just say Alahamora on it? And it's like there wasn't a lock on the door in the first place.
1: Who knows? I don't know. <laughs>
0: it really bothers just me. Just to make
1: them practice some more?
0: <laughs> so anyway, that's my rant of the day probably not of the day. I've had a lot of rants. That's my <laughs> special of completely off-topic rant of the day. Not a plot-wise rant. <laughs> yeah. As far as back to the spells, um, we had a lot of nonverbal magic in the movie, which we talked about a little bit in previous episode, but it feels like the fact that they were using so much nonverbal magic was more of a result of this being a film other than it being a result of some canonical reason for it. Like, I don't feel like... American wizards are just that more adept at non Well, here's magic. my
1: question, though. So I was thinking about this. And what if Americans use a lot more non-verbal magic because they are so restricted? Hmm. They aren't allowed to really do anything that would bring attention to them. And they're so integrated into I really like the no-match community that what if nonverbal magic is something they study extensively in place of something else <laughs> because they have to be so integrated into regular society. I really like that theory. And I hope that the filmmakers put as
0: much thought into this as you did. <laughs> Probably because not. Because that's a
1: very good reason. <laughs> because initially watching it, I thought, oh... This kind of seems like it's for special effect. Like, like they set it up that, oh, they start using it in the beginning so that you get their spells, and then they kind of just forgot about it as the film went. Which is kind of what they
0: do in the Harry Potter films, too. Like, they use a lot more nonverbal magic in those just because it's a pain to have these people shouting out these spells all the time. Right.
1: But, But that's my maybe there's an explanation for it
0: thought. I like it. And we're allowed to read as much into this as we want, so if we have to invent a reason to make it more palatable, then I say we go for it. And it doesn't seem like that far-reached Yeah, an idea, it totally right? makes sense. I know you had a rant about the teapot, which a yes. lot of people have
1: covered, but in case any of you didn't think that scene was weird. Like, they're scrambling <sighs> over this thing forever, and they could have just used Accio teapot. I uh, mean... Tina, you're an aura. Like... <laughs> You're supposed see? to be able to okay. think on the job, okay. like this. and that's my other problem with this movie: is that Tina is supposed to have been an or. Why is she so incompetent? The one time we see
0: her being really good at magic is when she duels Graves, and she's like at almost a ma- yeah, and she's <laughs> almost a match for him, which is impressive and shows that like at least dueling wise, she knows what she's doing.
1: But the rest but of the time, she's just kind she- of like. <laughs> Kind of makes me think she doesn't know anything except dueling because that was the only thing she was good at. Maybe. Maybe she was their dueling expert. Maybe. They brought in other people for the other stuff. The Obscurus. Here is my question. So I'm assuming based on how little information this movie gave us overall, like, I mean, they gave us tidbits here and there, but I feel like it relied very heavily on you already knowing about Harry Potter. Right. And so Harry Potter happens in the future from this movie. And so, I would assume that anything that happens here, you would, at least, like, the people in Harry Potter's universe would know about. Or at least, to some extent, they would know things. So, this Obscurus, when it's first mentioned to people, they're like, oh my gosh, an Obscurus. It's super scary. They've never seen one, but they know what it is. But... In Harry Potter's time, we never heard mention of it. And if it's such a big, scary thing that's, like, this cautionary, like, do not suppress your magic or else this big, awful thing's gonna happen, why have we never heard about it before? I mean, I know there's the theory that Albus's sister was one, but it was never given a name. And if everyone, even though they haven't seen one in this, knows about it and knows its name, why didn't they just say it in Harry Potter? I mean... Outside of canon,
0: the reason for that is probably just that she hadn't come up with it yet. Right. And maybe she had this vague idea, which is how she came up with the Ariana story, but she hadn't given it a whole thing because it wasn't relevant to Harry's story. Right. So, I mean, that's probably the real reason. Inside the canon, I the one explanation I could come up with is that they learn their lesson from whatever goes on with this story and with Grindelwald and Newt and everything that Obscurials stop happening because they learn how to stop this
1: from yeah. ever happening again. I mean, I guess they were particularly insistent about Harry going to school, which you kind of assume is just because, you know, he's, he's the a chosen one, <laughs> but I mean, maybe they also make a big deal out of making sure that any magical kid goes to school because of Obscurious.
0: Yeah. That's I mean I don't know that that's it for sure but that's an explanation that I could see them going with.
1: It's an explanation I could see them coming up with to cover the fact that they <laughs> hadn't come up with it before. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of problems with that just because of the fact that this story has been written being written after it and she has to work all these new ideas into a universe that's already so solid so
1: and happens in, in the future. The future. <laughs>
0: yeah. So it has been semi-solidly confirmed that Grindelwald was using Polyjuice Potion to turn into graves, which really bothers me because why would Revelio work on it? And if Revelio does work on Polyjuice Potion, why in all of the instances where Harry has bad guys using it with Barty Crouch Jr., why did they have to wait around for him to turn back into Barty Crouch Jr. instead of Dumbledore just casting a spell on him and making it happen right now? Plot hole. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a weakness there. And I feel like there's really no explanation for that. The one they could have done was that he wasn't using Polyjuice Potion, and they uh, decided not to go with that, so... All right, should we talk about the Thunderbird-slash-swooping-evil-magical-solution? Woo! Yeah. Convenient! It was so convenient, <laughs> and it wasn't quite a deus ex machina, because they do introduce the Thunderbird earlier and make it clear that he's going to be relevant later, and he does introduce the swooping evil and, like, talk about how... It's Venom has properties that mess with memory, so it's very clearly going to be relevant later, but it just still felt very contrived, Mm -hmm. and I don't know of a way that they could have made it feel less contrived, but that doesn't
1: change the fact that it was. Right, because I feel like they kind of were like, oh, wait, we did all of this in a big city where a lot of people would have been witness (laughs) to it. Now what? And it was just
0: kind of made weaker by the fact that, I mean, they gave no explanation as to why the auras didn't have their memory wiped. I mean, how did people who were taking a shower get their memory wiped? Like, does New York City's drinking water just go directly into people's, like, rainwater? What
1: about about the people who were, like, they see it happening and just run home, and they're just, like, curled up on their couch, like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) They don't get any water, So are they just going to be, like, living in fear for the rest of their lives? Like, oh my gosh, there's this creepy thing out there that's destroying the city. I can only drink alcohol for the rest of my life because it's unaffected by this rainwater. Like, I mean, there's got to be a big chunk of the people who saw what was happening not exposed to the water. So. Yeah. I mean. It was just weak and left a lot of questions, and it confused a lot of people. Because, I mean, don't they even do that in Harry Potter, where they have to, like, mass wipe people's memories? They mention it a lot. And so I'm like, why? I mean, it seems like they must do something to kind of keep them complacent and in place until they can obliviate them or something. That's kind of what it always seemed like to me, so I'm like, why? I mean, they they do
0: talk about how some of the really big memory wipings are, like, A couple hundred people, and this is New York City, and the entire city saw this magical cloud of evil swooping around, so it is a much bigger scale,
1: but still. And on that note, like, the bigger scale thing, to me, I felt like a lot of my problems with plot in this movie, I felt like the underlying reason it happened was because they wanted a special effect. They wanted it to be dramatic for the movie, they wanted something cool to look at, and so they sacrificed plot and good ideas for a special effect. That's an excellent segue to the next
0: thing we were going to talk about, which is the death chamber scene, because that scene was very cool visually and, like, emotionally with Tina's memories coming up, that was a good way to, like, show her past a little bit and make you feel for her and show how she had gotten in trouble with Mary Lou before Mm -hmm. but Avada cadaver exists and is a lot more humane because it's instant so like why would you put someone through the torture of like going into this chamber and like then you have to have them get all transified and go onto the chair it just doesn't make sense no symbolically I kind of get it because the whole like being tied to a chair and dropping into the water is very Salem witch trials, and then the water later becomes sort of fiery, and there were a lot of witches burned at the stake. So, symbolically, I get it, but practically, it doesn't make sense. Right.
1: Well, and, and one thing that I always love about Harry Potter world magic is that it's always so simple. It's always, like, simple solutions to things, for the most part. I mean, there are certain things that, yeah, if they talked to some muggles and learned how to use a phone, that might yeah. make things more convenient. But for the most part, accomplishing things, magic makes it simple. And I felt like this just made it more complicated than it needed to be. And also, like, what even was it? I don't know. Like... It was happening, and I couldn't even be emotionally attached and, like, kind of sad and, oh, no, she's going to die kind of thing because I was like, what on earth is this stuff? (laughs) Yeah. It just kind of, like, took me out of the movie and made me go, wait, what is this? Like, they didn't explain what it was. They did. I mean, how hard would it have been for him to take him in there and be like, I'm going to have to put you in XYZ, whatever it was called? You know, I mean, there were a few, and there were a couple moments like that in the movie where I was like, it wouldn't have been that hard to write into the script— a simple line giving the audience some information about what something was. I had one person
0: say that they thought it was the draught of the living death, which about sent me through the roof because <laughs> that's more like film misinformation. Because the sixth Harry Potter film makes you think that the draught of living death kills people, but it doesn't. It puts people to sleep.
1: Right. So the fact that's that that's why it's living death. Yeah. So the
0: fact that they thought that that was what that potion was, I was like, no. <laughs> That is wrong. You are so wrong. Oh man! Next time on Newcast, we are going to be doing our final of the three episodes on Fantastic Beasts, in which we are going to get into the themes, which I know is really Alexis's wheelhouse, so that'll be a lot of fun. Let's move on to the Pensieve. We're going to talk a little bit about what listeners have said since the last episode. We already mentioned that Liz pointed out the um scour history thing. I also wanna just give a thank you to her and to Sierra Larson for their nice, really nice feedback about our last episode and just especially to Liz for reminding us about that very important little tidbit that I can't believe I forgot. I also want to give a little plug to Dolls in a Day. Um she contacted me on Tumblr and offered to send me a free Newt Scamander doll that she had crocheted and he's going to be kind of our little mascot. Cheers. It was just really sweet, so I wanted to give her a little plug. Um, you can check out her Etsy shop. It's Dolls in a Day, and I'll put a link in the description. And she can make pretty much any character you can think of, or just animals, or whatever. So, if you're interested in that sort of thing, you should check it out. We have a question for listeners for next week. Mariah, in her little reread of Chamber of Secrets, also brought up the possibility that Dobby may have known or at least vaguely had an idea about horcruxes because he says to Harry that there are powers Dumbledore doesn't, powers no decent wizard, when he's referring to the fact that he knows that the Chamber of Secrets is going to be opened again. And since that is in fact a horcrux, does Dobby know something about horcruxes? Just some food for thought. In which case, what a
1: little... (laughs)
0: Dobby's, frustrating. Dobby's one of those characters that you love but he's also super frustrating oh I don't love
1: him <laughs> oh okay I guess you don't <laughs> he's just to love
0: frustrating him. so if you have any thoughts on that or just anything you'd like to tell us about this last episode you can find us on twitter at newtcasts with an s at facebook.com slash newtcast or at newtcast.com and we would love to hear from you with any theories you have any questions anything you'd like to discuss with us so please get a hold of us um, thanks to Kate for being here for us this week. You're welcome. So glad we could have you here, especially since Alexis couldn't be with us yeah, today. So Thanks for having me. That was awesome. And we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.